Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. At Jew in the City, we like to highlight uh, fabulous Orthodox Jews, Orthodox Jews who are doing out of the box hobbies or careers, Orthodox Jews that are you know, giving back to the community or to the world. Um, when I started this organization, really uh, my feeling was that people don't know enough of the good that the Orthodox Jews out there are doing. The good stories are rarely talked about. Um, and it's usually the bad stories that are repeated over and over again um, in the media, in traditional media. What ended up happening sort of over the course of this organization's existence is that some of the people that had seen the underbelly of the Orthodox world contacted us. Some of them were angry. Some of them said that, you know, positive stories are a lie and whitewashing. And But some of them um, actually believed that there's good out there, but they had personally experienced bad. They had personally experienced abuse and they wanted to um, sort of understand the Orthodox community and Orthodox Judaism in a more positive way. And these people became what is now our division known as Project Makom. And so now that we sort of have a, I would say a more nuanced picture, um, still knowing of all the good that exists, but also seeing that problems exist, we can make our conversation, I would say more balanced and more more nuanced. Um, and I believe actually, and this is a you know a big belief of my Rav that, um, confronting the problems that we have actually is a Kiddush Hashem. So there's uh, sometimes, I think well, probably in all communities, um, an interest in kind of sweeping the problems under the rug, not talking about them. If we don't talk about them, it's like they didn't happen, but that's not really true. Um, problems exist. And when we face them and when we face them head on and um, do the right thing, even if we're talking about a problem, talking about fixing a problem, working to fix a problem is actually, that's the Torah way, that's the Jewish way, and that's something to be super proud of. And that is uh, the perfect introduction for my guest today. Um, her name is Dr. Shani Virtualizer. She is an LCSW. Um, she's a trauma therapist, um, and she is the creator of the Magenu uh, Child Safety Curriculum. And she is doing just what I said, uh, seeing a problem, facing a problem, fixing a problem. Shani, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So um, take us through, I guess, the journey. Um, where did you grow up um, in terms of, you know, where did you live um, religiously? Um, kind of where, where does your story begin um, for you as a person? Okay, so um, I grew up in Brooklyn, right? Right here in Brooklyn. Um, my parents were got divorced when I was about 10 years old, went to a regular Orthodox Yeshiva high school um, and elementary school. I think that probably during that time, I was probably the only kid in, my, in the class whose parents were divorced. It was like a different time frame. Um, and, you know, it was, it was a pretty, I, I would say normal upbringing from when I, you know, from the way I kind of view things. I had an amazing mom, very, very, I have, she's still here. Um, amazing mom, very strong person. And I have one sister and one brother. And yeah, pretty, pretty regular. So um, the, I noticed in your bio, the doctor is not actually, you started off in a different field instead of mental yes. health. You started off in audiology. Um, yes. And I guess you, you like school. So what, what made you leave the um, audiology field um, to move into trauma and mental health? So very interesting. Um, yes, I went for audiology when I went to college and graduate school. I got my doctorate in it. Um, I actually really enjoyed, enjoyed audiology a lot. 
but I really found that the, the part of it that I actually enjoyed the most was the counseling aspect of it. Every time I would be, I worked in an ENT office and it was like the part that was really connecting with people seemed to kind of get me the most. Um, and so I sort of had that in my head and it, it was there and I just kind of put it like in a certain spot of, of the way I worked. Um, and then I took a break. I had, um, thank God, children and life was kind of moving on at the same time I was working with my husband a lot in what he is, what his baby is, which is um, our place, right? For teens at risk. And we'd have a lot of kids by us for like Shabbosim, Yom Tovim. And I got to know a lot of these kids. And as I would get to know them, as we'd have these kind of just these regular, like casual meals, I was really finding that most, and I say most, because it really was majority of the stories that were coming my way were really stories of some form of abuse, you know, specifically sexual abuse, but definitely other, other forms of abuse that were part of these, all of these kids, kind of their story, like their narrative. It was just, it was just right there. It was like one after the next, after the next. Um, and I remember telling my husband back then, this is going back years, I would said, you know, it's so it's so great to be working now with these kids now and sort of helping, helping be there, help send them to rehab if they need and just kind of be a person that they can talk to. But I, I really feel like we have to figure out a way to go backwards and prevent them from getting here to begin with. Like, why are there so many, why are there so many stories like this? Why, why is this happening? Um, and at the same time that that was happening, I was raising my own children and I was, I'm a pretty open, open person. I always was. And so I, I was kind of like, you know, just, I would talk about different topics, safe, safe and unsafe touches. Um, you know, all these, it was very open in my house. And, and there was one specific thing that happened where it really shifted my, my whole life. Um, my daughter at the time was in free 1A. And I remember she had gone to school, you know, maybe it was a regular, regular school day. And she went, they had like one of these kind of trips um, when they go to the park, you know, schools, a lot of times they'll walk to the park with the class and they'll hang out. They'll have a nice time. And she came home from school. She was a very friendly kid. And she would start telling me, you know, oh my, you know, I went to the park. It was so much fun. And in the story, she says, oh, you know, I, um, I made a friend in the park today. And I said, oh, great. You know, uh, like, what does you mean? I'm kind of, you know, continuing the story. And she, she said that she had ended up like kind of separating from the group of kids. And she went over to this adult male in the park and she had like this kind of conversation with him about, I think it was Lagba Omar times. They were talking about exercise. Like, thank God nothing happened. It was really like, you know, I really, really thank God for this, that she was being watched by Hashem and she ended up returning to the group and everything turned out okay. But what struck me as so poignant was two things. One was when I had a conversation with her about the danger, you know, of what potentially could have happened or why, you know, why it wasn't okay what she did. Her response to me was, oh, ma, don't worry. He was really nice. You know, he was really nice. And this is a kid who is not, was not, not spoken to. I've right. spoken to her many times, right? This is not like one of these households where we don't talk about things. And it really hit me with this, this moment of like, this is kids really look for the monster, right? That's in our mind. It's the monster that they're trying to avoid. And we all know it's never the monster, right? It's always the most charismatic, nice, you know, you, you know, the usual, you know, um, predatory way of working is this grooming and manipulating. And it's not, 
it's not, it's generally not the monster. So that was like one piece that was really big for me. And the other piece was that when I, you know, when I tried to sort of get a little bit in the school system in that way of just discussing what happened, there was a lot of naivete, you know, nothing happened. We were watching. Um, And I think most schools and most people really kind of thought that way. You know, this was sort of the way it went. Can you give me um, a timeline? What what year are we talking? Because obviously there's been a lot of progress sort of in awareness and sort of um, starting to do the right thing. So when when did this happen? Yeah, this is going back like 2011, probably. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 yeah, it's a number of years ago. Definitely a lot of progress since then, for sure. Um, and I, de- and I don't, I don't have any, like, I don't blame the school in any way. I don't think it was, it was any kind of full thing. I think it just was really, you know, we just didn't necessarily, um, our radar is not tuned into certain kinds of these things that we, we generally, you know, tend to think of things as positive. We want to look at things as safe. And I don't think this was even a topic back then. You know, this is, it, it wasn't, it wasn't starting, but it wasn't like it is now. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of took my life into this sort of place of, you know, I kind of want to figure out how to teach this properly, how mm-hmm. to figure out a way to get my kid to understand this, you know, this nuance, how do I get her to do this without being afraid? Mm-hmm. You know, how do I help, how do I help the school sort of see, see the good, but also protect from anything that potentially could be happening. And, and that's how this sort of took off. Amazing. So um, what did you do? You had the conversation with the school. They weren't so receptive. Um, was there this curriculum that came next? Was your, did your uh, mental health training come next? Did it come simultaneously? What was sort of the next part of the journey? Yeah. So, so I just want to say that they weren't, it wasn't that they weren't receptive. I think they were receptive. I think it was just like, what do we do? It was more of like a, like a curiosity. Like, I think mm-hmm. that's kind of where it came from. Got it. Um, and so, yeah. And so the next place, the next thing that happened for me was I started doing a lot of research um, just, and it started really basic. Like, how do I teach my own kids? Mm-hmm. And so I, I would do a lot of research, what programs exist out there? How does this topic um, kind of come forward where we don't necessarily scare the kids, but we're able to sort of give them an awareness. It was like piece by piece by piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, you know, I started out with a very uh, small group of moms, literally like just in my living room, you know, neighborhood people to come over and have a discussion on, on this topic and how we can sort of help get this education to our kids, especially in our community. Like how do we, how do we help our own community sort of, you know, have more education on this topic, very grassroots, very, very small. Um, at the same time as doing the research, I, I realized that I really need more information on this topic. I really need to know it from like, like that's kind of who I am. I happen to love school in general, but I also really had this kind of gut feeling that I need more knowledge. I need to figure this out. And so that's when I went back to school for, for social work. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially, you know, and then, I mean, and, and the, the, the concept of trauma was huge for me. I mean, it was just, it, it made so much sense. And I, I, you know, everything sort of kind of happened at the same time where I started to create this program, like the, the idea of it. And at the same time, be, you know, studying all the effects of trauma on the system, on the nervous system and how we, and how we react to things on, on how we process things. And it kind of had this like kind of this journey that was happening at the same time. I mean, this is so relevant to what we see at Project Makom, nearly 100% trauma victims, high rate of molestation. And I've also gotten sort of this new education on trauma and also a new awareness of trauma that the trauma with a capital T and with a lowercase t of sort of those bigger things that I noticed um, growing up, the molestation, the physical abuse. And now um, what, what I've come to understand is that 
that smaller level trauma of like not being um, ever sort of no, not receiving physical affection or being told I love you, not having a space to, you know, speak or be able to be your real self, even at home. So these are sort of different things that we are seeing that um, I would say is, you know, almost 100% of our members have had, you know, one and in many cases, many levels of this. So um, I, I hear you, everything you're saying. Um, yeah. What, um, you know, and I think this might be sort of a community by community type of thing, because um, I mean, I, I talk to my kids about, you know, safety from a young age, I would sort of put myself like in the right wing modern orthodox world. I think that we had curriculums in our school where the topic of safe touch has always been something that they've done. But is this maybe a matter of in different communities, they were handling this curriculum differently? Is that something that you could speak to about sort of which communities were doing what, what you know, curriculums are out there? Where was more of the gap? <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So, you know, it's very interesting. When I started, when after I had created the curriculum and, and what you're saying about trauma is so, is so crucial because it's true. There's so many levels of trauma, like sexual abuse is one, is one type of abuse, but you know what, being neglected is, is really a, a whole nother animal and it's, and it's, and there, and trauma really is just in how the system, re how the nervous system reacts. It's not actually in the event itself. It's on how the nervous system reacts, which is why people get very confused because somebody might, you know, feel like they experience something as the same way as somebody else. And they'll, a lot of the, the answers I'll get will be, well, I, I'm fine. Why can't you just be fine? Or, you know, we grew up in the same household and I'm, I'm okay. Why can't she just get it together? Mm -hmm. And this happens a lot. And having to explain that really is not about the actual event. It's really in how the, the nervous system responds and a lot of factors and, and sort of getting the understanding of what it means, you know, for people to sort of be a little bit more sensitive, a little bit more, um, like just the reasoning behind what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And so when I created the program, it was really, um, in this, this kind of way of looking at it where sexual abuse and the whole concept of the safe and unsafe touches, which many schools, right, getting into the concept of, of the more religious schools, let's say, who are very afraid of the topic of the body and, and sort of what you're going to say to the kids, how is this going to come out? How do we, how do we tell the kids, you know, about in, in a, in a, in a quote unquote sneas or modest kind of way, what, what they don't understand off the bat is that the program itself doesn't go straight into that topic. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a buildup where it's like a six lesson kind of program. And the fifth lesson is safe and unsafe touches. But until that point, there is so much that has to go into helping a child have a sense of self, which mm -hmm. really is the biggest um, way to sort of give a kid resilience, right? There's this concept of it's not only about knowing your body and knowing how to protect your body, but it's having this identity where you can recognize that you have, you're having an emotion where you can recognize and be able to label what that emotion is mm -hmm. when you can kind of link the emotion to a sensation, right? I'm having, I'm nervous about my test. I'm having butterfly feeling in my stomach or, mm -hmm. um, you know, this person is, is yelling at me a little bit too loud. So my heart is pounding sort of having these, this sense of, the indicators in our bodies that are telling us that maybe something feels a little bit off. And so a lot of the program is, is sort of building up to 
having what what are these emotions being able to hold two feelings at the same time right mm -hmm. i'm really really kind of like happy that i'm getting this gift from grandma and yet i'm disappointed that it's not exactly what i wanted right holding those two feelings and understanding that that holding two feelings at the same time is really okay and and it's like that for all of us building in the concept of having trusted adults in our life and what does that mean right how do we how do we sort of recognize that mm -hmm. being able to sort of spot the grooming process without actually saying the word grooming process, right? Mm -hmm. Explaining to kids what that's like, the beginning steps of having a self until you build up to, oh, and protecting our bodies, our private parts, right? The safe and unsafe touches, the safe and unsafe secrets. Yeah, sure, that comes in, but in a way that makes sense to everything else, like this mm -hmm. broader kind of way conversation right? has. Yeah. Very, so yeah. would you say, so there were curriculums, there are curriculums out there that were kind of going more straight to like the safe touch part, but you felt that you needed that intro first before you got there, just so people in case they were missing some of those lessons at home that they should understand about regulating their emotions, sort of the ability to take up space and have, you know, complicated feelings and then leading up to the, the safe and unsafe touch. Is that sort of the a thousand percent, because if you, if you think about it, all kids, I don't know, you know, it doesn't matter where they're from religiously, like from the most modern to the, to the most religious, if you think about going into a, a room full of kids or, you know, or just kind of saying, you know, hey, like, let's talk about your body and nobody's allowed to touch your, you know, the private parts. It's first of all, a most likely you're just going to get a bunch of giggles or uncomfortable, you know, kind of reactions. It doesn't really sit, sit with them. And and every time I walk into a classroom, every time I've done this kind of program, in my head, I'm always thinking there's for sure at least one or two kids sitting in that classroom that have been abused or are currently being abused. That's just mm -hmm. the numbers. That's the way it is. Right. And if I'm just coming in with that bang, that one lesson, right. I'm not really giving them a way to recognize what's actually happening for them. They're already holding a secret. They already are holding this, you know, whatever's going on. And, you know, we said earlier that most of the time the abuse is happening by someone the child really is close to, right? Someone that they, they love, they trust, they respect, they're, they're, there's a relationship there most of the time. And so there's a lot riding on, on, on this, on this piece. It's not just, it's not just the fact that someone's touching them or they're having, you know, or they're in this sort of relationship, there are so many factors involved and building, building that in trusting your gut, like learning that there are adults out there that you can, you can find how to recognize tricky people, right? How do you recognize who a tricky person could be? You know, all these factors are so crucial to letting a kid feel comfortable enough to be able to recognize that like, Hey, like I really, I, I, this really isn't okay. And there's so much more involved in just, than just that lesson, just that one lesson. So when would this curriculum um, come out and um, where, I guess, how did you get it to different schools and, and what schools is it in currently? Okay. So, so the great, the, the interesting part about it has really been this like process is that has really evolved. When I, when I first started it and created the program, I had about like 40 volunteers with me. And what we would do is we'd go into schools ourselves and we would teach it and we would just teach the lessons. And it was very, very taxing. We went from Maryland and Florida and in, and in Brooklyn, we went to like at least, we were in like at least 35 to 40 schools. Wow. And it was, it was really amazing, but it was exhausting, right? Because uh -huh. you're talking about going in classroom by classroom, you know, teaching six lessons. It, it, it was not sustainable and yeah. very, and 
and that not only was it unsustainable, really according to the research, as I was looking into programs more and more, I was finding that according to research, a majority of the time students, even though when you're coming in as a new person, it could be exciting for the class to see somebody new. Mm -hmm. In reality, when you walk out of that classroom, like I walk into a classroom, I'm telling them this lesson, wonderful, then I leave, who are they actually telling, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But if a teacher who according to research is the number two person after a mom who a child will disclose abuse to, if a teacher or a social worker in the school gives the lessons themselves, then the children have time to digest it. They have time to ask questions. They may a year later come to that person and say, okay, I have to tell you something because now they have a face, right? They have somebody to hold on to. So as I was kind of looking at that, and as I was dealing with some of the the, the schools that were very um, hesitant, right? Like a lot of the schools that were nervous about bringing an outsider in, um, what are you going to tell our kids? We sort of want more control. Even from that angle, I uh, like I was sort of trying to figure out how do I do this? How do I get this going? And I met um, this woman named Lauren Book, who's phenomenal. She's an amazing, amazing woman. She's actually... Um, I, think she, I believe she's a senator now in, in Florida. Hmm. She is phenomenal. She has she was um, sexually abused as a child, and she created a she has a book about her her own experience, and she um, created a whole program that she that she is um, that she does in Florida, where this entire curriculum is in a box. Okay, so we we sort of had this very like minded concept of how to teach the program, and she literally has this program that's delivered in a box to these schools. And so we started to collaborate a little bit and it was, a, it was an amazing idea. And so I started to work on that and how, to, how do I put my program into an actual box in the same way? Um, and it took about four years to do it. And thank God, it literally, we, we, we finished it. It is beautiful. It's, I call it literally education in a box. It's six lessons. It's in a, its own sort of, in its own box. It comes with a teacher manual and how to teach each lesson teaching cards with pictures and instructions on how to use them, homework to take home for the kids, parent newsletters that go home after each lesson with each kid on how the parent can continue the lesson at home. It's everything in one, one box. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know we had just finished it. It's great. It came finally kept shipped in from China. We tried to get it as like cheap as possible so that we don't, you know, part of this whole thing is the, is the money schools don't have really schools don't have money. And that's, that's the reality. Mm-hmm. So we really like, kind of brought it down to the, to the, you know, as, as least expensive as possible. Mm-hmm. And of course then COVID hit and now we're kind of waiting for this to, yeah, sort of like throw us off our game a little bit because schools could barely, are barely surviving now. Forget about taking in a whole new program, but mm-hmm. I'm really praying that this won't be, you know, this is not the end and, and it will pass, but the program's kind of ready to go in the way it is. It, it's, it's phenomenal. It really is. I'm, I'm so proud of it. It, it's, it was, it was, it was really like a labor of love. That's really what it is. So it was basically you had like 1.0 version of it where you did it yourselves and then you've now learned a sort of a better way um, to kind of to, to build it, to to give it over, to execute it. So now you're on the verge. So I would say here, um, I'm sure we have a lot of listeners that would love to bring this to their school. So what would our listeners be able to do to find out, um, you know, how to get their school uh, to, to bring this curriculum in? It's a great question. So yeah, and I have parents asking me that a lot. Um, so my my the best bet is, you know, most of the time when you when it comes to school systems, I, I really believe, I really believe in my heart that that most schools and, and most principals really, really want 
to do what's best for the kids. I really believe it. Like, even if, even if it doesn't seem so, even if on the outside, the answers don't seem so, you know, so warm or empathetic. In reality, the principals are the ones that are seeing the cases themselves. I mean, I've never been in a school where I haven't had these kind of conversations where they themselves have seen so many, so many cases of different things that have come across their desk. So my, my advice to parents always is just to sort of open the conversation with, with the, with the principals or the administration in charge of your school. Um, you know, letting them know that there is a program that exists, that they're that they're on board to help in any way they can. We have a website, maginu.org. I have a I have um, an Instagram page, maginu.personal.safety, where all the information is there. I mean, on the website, you see that you could see the program straight up. There's a way to contact, um, to email me, to just I, I'm always I always tell every every everybody that calls, I'm always telling them, I'm willing to show you whatever you need. Most principals want to know what they're bringing into their school. And so they can look through whatever they want. There's no, there's no hidden agenda. There's no secrets. It's just calling and saying like, Hey, this is really a very important topic. Please look into it. The more parents are behind it, the more likely a school will take it. Many schools are very scared of their parent body. They, 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 they're worried about of offending or mm-hmm. doing something that they think is going to be looked at as a negative experience. Um, and so when parents call, especially as a group, it, it mitigates that, right? It takes mm-hmm. away that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition, I also, like, there are a lot of very religious schools that have told me, like a lot of schools call me behind the scenes. Like they won't tell me their names. They won't tell a lot of Rabbeim call me and they won't tell me what school they're in or, or their names, but they'll come with cases or what do they do with this? Or what do they do with that? But they're petrified to like actually say who they are because mm-hmm. for back fear, backlash or whatever, whatever they're worried about. And my advice always is, you know, if, if, if five schools got together and said, we're going to, we're all going to do this together. Like, let's mm-hmm. do this together during this week. It will take away, you know, that, that feeling of like, oh my gosh, I'm the first one to do it. I don't want to yeah. be that school. Right. And so it makes it so much easier and it, it doesn't, it makes it less taboo, right? Like mm-hmm. this is a difficult topic, but it doesn't have to be, it really doesn't have to be. And just to clarify, this curriculum is appropriate from any type of school from modern to Hasidish, right? You you have the sort of sensibilities that it could be appropriate and not offensive to um, across the spectrum. A thousand percent. It is super, super sensitive. Um, and in and in reality, that's really the topic, right? It's never about it's never about bombarding kids with like you know harsh language or difficult topics. It's really about helping them get a sense of just having open discussions, right? I, and and the biggest the biggest question that always comes up is, well, if you tell a kid, right, certain things, or they're gonna end up talking about it all the time, or they're gonna kind of yell these things out, or it's gonna be so uncomfortable. And, and my advice always is, if you can get to a place where you're comfortable, mm-hmm. they'll be fine, right? Like, it's all about how we present it. If we're okay with it, they will be okay with it. If a kid, you know, yells out a word that is you consider to be inappropriate and you react in a very harsh, embarrassed way, they will do it again and again because they got you. They but got if you advice. take a deep breath, yeah, if you're, if you're calm and you just think like, you know, sweetie, like, you know, that's, it's not, it's not a bad word, right? It's not a bad word. It's just inappropriate by the shoppers table and you just move on, then it's gone. It's gone. It's all about your own sense of comfort in in this topic. It really, really is. 
Amazing. Um, so just, we're just about out of time right now, but you can um, find more about this curriculum. If your school has a safety, a safety curriculum, they should learn about magenu.org to maybe bring this one in in addition or instead of. If your school does not, get together with some parents, call the administration, take care of your children, get this into your school. Um, you can save lives. You can keep them from seeing either uh, Shawnee or Project Mako. We don't want to see uh, your children. Please uh, work to protect your children before they um, get pushed away from, from trauma and abuse. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much really for your heroic efforts because I think so many people see problems in the world and sort of lament them, but um, it really takes a lot to see something and then go out and, and learn how to fix it and then actually execute the solutions. So we wish you much, much haslacha. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Okay, have a wonderful day. And you can catch the same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.